You are listening to the Small Liquor Hunting Podcast, the hunting podcast that is free of advertisements, bought and paid for opinions, and minutes and minutes of sponsorships. If that's what you want, there's a plethora of other podcasts out there. Here, we're going to talk openly, we're going to talk honestly, and we're going to live in the real world, free of sponsorships and paid for advertisements and opinions that are governed and dictated by them. That sounds interesting. Stay tuned for this episode of the Smalley Grounding Podcast. All right, guys, let's get this episode started. It is 2021. We are about ready to enter February, and I'm excited. Let me just start this off. I haven't got the video polished for the introduction of it all. I haven't got the the play-by-play and everything, but you know what? If you go over to smallacrehunting.com, you can actually see how you can keep this podcast, the videos, and the website up and running. I've for a long time said I will never want to get into the industry. I'm using air quotes. I know this is audio. You can't see that. But the one thing that disgusts me about, I guess you could call myself and others content creators, those who create content, is the diluted fashion that the industry makes those people have with sponsorships. I get it. It's a business. People make business decisions. There's nothing wrong with it, but I don't ever want my content to suffer based on my relationships and sponsorships of which I gather. I get it. It would be awesome to make money doing this. I've never once made money doing this. And I very rarely have time and energy to take on consultations. However, I have started doing that a little bit more. If you want to learn more about that, go to the website, click on the consulting tab, and get in touch with me. But for a long time, I always thought it'd be cool to be able to have sponsors that throw me money, and I I can actually make money producing content. And I've long realized that, you know, the brunt of you out there, the brunt of you that are are attracted to small acre hunting, you, you, you are attracted to it because I'm honest, I'm real, and let's be honest, I'm like you. A hardworking American, limited on time, limited on the ability to commit the amount of time and energy and effort and money, and I deal with the frustrations of property searching, neighbor hunting pressure, just any problem that a normal person who doesn't have deep pockets or amazing properties suffer from, I suffer from as, as well. And the moment that I start taking money it changes my delivery of content. Because anytime you take money from a sponsor, you are, whether consciously or subconsciously, going to change your approach to delivering content. You may avoid certain conversations with certain people. You may limit your guest pool. You may Watch what you say just a little bit more because you don't want to make your sponsors mad. And sometimes in the sponsorship agreement, you are restricted in what you can and cannot do. You know, those of you out there know I have a really good relationship with the guys over at Real World Wildlife Products, but they know and they respect and they honor, and more on that later, what I'm about. And that's one of the reasons why I have such a good relationship with them is they understand they're never going to, they could offer me money and they know I'm not going to take it. They know I believe in their product, and they know that if, if hey, I full disclosure, I get a discount through them for all the years of just loving their product. 
and being willing to share that with them and share that with others, unprompted, no payment (laughs) needed, I just believe in the majority of their products. And I use what products I can lawfully and legally in my state. If you like that idea, if you like the concept that small acre hunting is a self-funded, you know, self-generated, never going to whore myself out, never going to whore the show or the podcast or the YouTube videos or anything like that out to anybody, and you support that concept, go over to smallacrehunting.com, click on the Patreon link, and begin to research on my Patreon page how you can support the podcast, you can support me, and you can help just deliver and guarantee that the content that you hear here is never going to be bought and paid for by anybody. It it never will be. Um, If the link is not there on the homepage, it's only because it's still loading. I'm actually, the reason I'm saying that is I'm pulling up www.smallacrehunting.com. On the very homepage, right to the right of where it says welcome and right above the picture of Cicero with me looking at him like a... a (laughs) Uh, I don't even know, like a teenager looking at a, a lover or something. It's such a, it's such a unique picture. It captures a lot, you know, I, a lot of emotions there. But right above there, it says become a patron. If you click on that, it's going to take you over to the Patreon page. It's actually going to link you to the page with the three different levels that I have. Um, eventually on the homepage of the Patreon page, there's going to be a video explaining each thing. But you can actually click on the tier and such. And there's going to be more things being added to this. Um, Enough about that. Let's get on to the topics of this podcast, this specific podcast. So first, let's let's touch base on what I've got going on. So it's, you know, I still have two more days of reduction zone hunting here in Indiana. And I'm probably going to go out tomorrow. I've got easterly winds. Um, I don't expect anything with everything that's going on at my place and all the pressure and issues and such. I don't expect a lot. But you know what? I decided the other day I'm going to try to climb a tree one more time, and I'm just going to breathe in the hunt. I'm going to thank God for just the opportunity to see another season close. Yes, it didn't go, or or the things that occurred throughout it were not necessarily anything I would have chosen. But you know what? It's still a blessing to get out there, to breathe in the fresh air, and who knows what's going to walk by. Um I don't know if I'll shoot a doe if she walks by. If one of the big does walks by, I'll probably um, shoot her. Um, Buck-wise, it's going to have to be a special one for me to probably want to shoot it, or a wounded one. Um, but we'll see what happens. Pops is going to be uh, in, the, in the fields tomorrow as well. We're going to kind of split properties up, and he's going to go to one. I'm going to go to the other, and uh, we'll go from there. But after this weekend, it's full-blown habitat time. Um, I don't have to worry about bumping deer off that may get shot or wounded unless they're going to poach and poachers are going to poach no matter what. So, but the season officially closes at a couple of our properties because they're in reduction zones, um, the 31st of January, and then we will be in full blown habitat mode. And, uh, a few of the things, some people ask me, you know, kind of what trees I get in every year and, and, and to plant and such. So there's a couple different projects that we're doing this year. And one project that we're doing is along the corridor south of one of the large bedding areas on my property that then connects to another bedding area. There's a swath between an old tree line and my pond. And part of that is a broken up, 
Islands of Cover type clover chicory plot, which is going through a rehabilitation year this year. We're going to kind of, I may even end up killing most of it off. And this, this fall, we're going to plant a lot of heavy cereal grains, seed it in with clovers, and then also then overseed it or frost seed it going into next winter probably. And I'm actually going to frost seed some of it this year. And we're going to kind of gauge how well it's doing, how healthy the stand is. It's been four years or so since the actual planting of it. So it's, it, you know, four to six years uh, is typically the life expectancy, especially if you don't overseed every single year or frost seed or keep it up on the chemical side of things as far as keeping the grasses out of it at least. Um, so, so that area then between that, that, that island of food and the pond is a strip of that's been pretty much overrun. It's an it's just underbrush, understory, a lot of young sapling type trees. No trees I don't think are bigger than my hamstring, you know, my upper leg, if you will. Um, that area is riddled with bush honeysuckle. So one of the things that Pops and I are going to do, we're going to literally fire up the chainsaws one day, and we're going to go in there and we're going to cut a ton of bush honeysuckle. Haven't quite decided where we're going to haul it to, but we're going to haul all the cuttings somewhere else. And then from there, we're going to gauge what we're going to do. There's there's, there's there's a couple different things that I've thought about doing, either stump treating those and doing nothing else and just seeing what Mother Nature does. Um, another option is stump treating those, but then also doing some supplemental plantings in there or cuttings being shoved in the ground in there, perhaps shoving some crabapple trees in there, some bush varieties that that we want to encourage in there. Um, I'm kind of split on that. I don't know. Another factor is if 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 after we cut all that and and we're taking a look at it and we're gauging it, another thing that we've thought about doing is getting one of those uh, forestry mulcher attachments to a bobcat, renting it, and just literally hitting the reset button on that whole entire area. Um, it would stink in the short term, but I would expect by year two or three, I'd be thanking myself for doing that. Um, also, I've thought about you know bulldozing it. That would that would basically kind of do a similar thing. Um, both of those options, though, the nice thing about doing that, or the bad thing, depending what pops up, is you are going to disturb the soil. You're going to disturb a lot of those uh, that seed bank that has not been able to grow underneath the canopy of the bush honeysuckle. You know, I've shown videos on YouTube and you guys have seen how when bush honeysuckle matures, you essentially eventually lose the uh, understory underneath it. It matures up and it actually kills everything underneath it, which is kind of cool to have that in little small pockets. And when I say that, I'm talking like 10 to 30 feet by 10 to 30 feet. You know, those little areas inside of thick cover that deer can slip right in and they have a little bit of, of breathing room, a little bit of, you know, they got a little bit of space to stretch and they'll bed underneath there. But when it's a whole swath of just bush honeysuckle and they can see throughout the whole thing, it's not as attractive or conducive to bedding or even a filtration area, a passage thorough thoroughfare. So that is a big, big plan on the horizon for Pops and I. And uh, in order to shove some stuff in there, I actually am going to try to start a plum thicket. Um, I, one plant variety that I have coming my way is I, I'm ordering, I ordered five thicket plums from, oh gosh, I don't, I have the order, I have the items coming. I ordered from uh, Blue Hill. I don't know, I've ordered a bunch of stuff from Morse, Blue Hill, Walden, Stark. Um, 
but I've got some some thicket plum variety as they call them. They're one year old uh, containered plants, and I've got five of those coming. I'm gonna plant those and protect them, and uh, hopefully get them to begin to sucker and, and spread and take over uh, in that area. I got a few uh, wild crab apple trees. Um, I actually have quite. A, I have a dozen of those coming. I thought about fencing those just randomly in there as well throwing those in there. Those will be good for, for pollination of all my other uh, trees. I also have a few dwarf chinkapin oaks coming. Um, you know, I'm, you know, you guys all know that I am not one to worship oak trees, but I also understand their benefits. And if I can spread those things out to where they're one of the few trees that I allow to mature and they're spaced wide enough apart that even 40, 50 years from now, I'm not looking at them saying they are taking way too much sunlight from everything else. Um, if they're the only canopy in their area, they're still going to allow a lot of light, a lot of filtered sun to get through and get down to the forest floor or the understory underneath them, and things will grow, and it'll grow thick. So I, I, I'm probably going to plant at least two, maybe all four of those along that corridor somewhere. I've also got... Uh, another couple select uh, select versions of crab apples I've never messed with. One is Sonofkau. Son- I don't know how to say it. I have no idea. S-O-N-O-F-C-A-L, um, crab apple. Uh, upon reading it, it holds the uh, apples very late into the season, so I'm thinking about planting that somewhere uh, within 40 yards or so of a tree stand or a ground blind location. And then I've got a few more bunches and bunches, uh, red crab, which is a two-year-old select crab. I believe that one's from Moore's Nursery, if I remember right, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, I'm also looking at buying some willow cuttings, some red osier dogwood, yellow dogwood. Um, I've looked into finding a source for, I think it was, uh, not winterberry, uh, spice bush, as well as chokeberry. Both do a pretty good job in the understory, filtered light and such. So that's where we—that's where I might be shoving those things in. So that's kind of that area. But then there's two other big areas of the property that were logged this last year, and this is kind of going to introduce the main topic of the episode. But those two areas, we only had time to log. We were not able to go back through, and we basically the northern. Uh, bedding area, a lot of mature trees. We, we brought down a lot of cherries, oaks, um, a few pines, cottonwood, one huge tulip tree. Um, all, all the things that were of at least minimal value and the logger would buy, or he knew he could sell would be the better way of putting it. We logged those out and got them out. But by the time we were done, it was way too late into the year and we didn't get to go back and then continue to remove non-loggable, um, valuable trees from a timber perspective. So there's still a lot of canopy in there that we've got to eliminate if we really want that area to thicken up and be conducive for food, be conducive for cover, and uh, just hold more deer or attract more deer to, to, to treat that as a primary bedding option of theirs. And... Uh, Along with that is we have the southern woods, which are doing the same thing. That was predominantly cottonwoods, and there's a few young oak trees that we're gonna we're gonna uh, keep well. But we've got to go back and and on on logs that are now down, we've got to cut openings through them. Basically, make the web effect in the bedding area continue to have fingers all feeding throughout, and 
encourage that all those fingers and pockets and bedrooms and corridors meet and, and feed out of the bedding area, encourage them to feed out into the bedding area in precise areas. Um, that makes them a little bit more predictable for me, which means the more predictable a deer is, the more huntable a deer is. So that's from the hunting aspect of things, but that's what we've got going on. We've got two main locations that we're going to have to spend some serious amount of time, uh, you know, girdle cutting, um, allowing those trees to die over time and fall to the ground. Actually just watched a video today where Craig Harper touched on that. You know, if the trees, you know, bigger than your, your bicep or, you know, lower leg, your calf area and such, you know, if you, if you girdle those trees and you can spray, um, chemical in there as well and, and kill them standing. The nice thing about that, the benefit of that is they will slowly deteriorate and die over time. You know, first their, their leaves won't grow and then their branches will begin to, to rot and die and fall. And then eventually you're left with just basically a trunk up into the, the canopy, but yeah, it didn't take any canopy light and it's not blocking any movement on the forest floor because yes, deer are going to work their way around, you know, trees that you fall and such. But if you make an entire mess of the place, if you have a tornado zone, it begins to inhibit movement and not be conducive to movement. So I've got a few locations that just the leftover mess and, and such from the logger, you know, we need to spend some time, cut some openings through them and such. And then we need to look around and look up as much as we look down, girdle some things, you know, not trees that are leaning because those will be more apt to fall, but, you know, really good, strong trees that are up and we could do an inch cut around them or half inch cut just to get through that cambium layer and treat them, um, allow them to, to freestand and, and slowly die and uh, still be safe to do that. Now, these are areas that we're not planning on hunting. These are basically bedding areas or the fringe of bedding areas. So we don't have to worry about that aspect of things, but, uh, yeah, we're done logging. There's a few trees that, yeah, it would have been nice. Um, I bet you there's probably at least two dozen trees in both locations that, you know, if we'd have had more time, we could have got out for logging, but you know what? The time's done. I've waited way too long for this. And, uh, that feeds into the main topic of discussion. And, uh, that is, are you growing deer or are you growing timber? You know, this is this is really a topic which can get really heated at times. Not quite as heated as bringing up hinge cutting. And I look forward to having some guests on that we're going to touch on hinge cutting. Um, I know Jake Ellinger is going to come on here someday soon, and I've got a I've I've got I'm going to reaching out to Jim Brocker on it, and I think those are two amazing resources and amazing guys to listen to when it comes to whether you should or should not hinge cut. Um, Craig Harper is another good one. There is a time and place for it, but that's not the topic of today. One of the first questions that I think every single person that's beginning to plan a, a, a land management plan or a habitat plan for their property, if you're going to call a consultant, if you're going to call anybody, if, if you've got a property and you're going to start tackling it, the number one question you need to ask yourself is, what are you trying to grow? Are you trying to grow deer? Are you trying to grow timber? Are you trying to grow turkeys? Are you trying to grow quail? Are you what are you trying? What is your primary goal that you want to grow? And I'm going to get a lot of kickback from this, but primarily I'm going to get kickback from the 
foresters out there. The guys that most of their clients, timber is a factor in their decision-making process. Most of the guys that contact me, or I would argue the majority of you listening, timber value is not a primary factor in your decisions. It might be at the front end of things. Yes, let's make as much money as we can at the front, but you know what? That's basically a means to an end because I want to be done thinking of that and then make all my decisions based on deer, which is kind of the way I go about my consultants. You know, look, if you want me to design a plan that has a four to five year plan in place and you're thinking of timber the entire time, I'm not the person for you. I'm trying to grow deer. I'm not trying to grow timber. I'd rather have Pope and Young deer or better on my property than a veneer walnut. So that's just me. And I don't care what anybody says, and this is where I'm going to get pushback. Depending what you decide, you can't choose both 100%. You cannot. You may have a plan, and yes, some of you out there that maybe got directed to this, some of you consulting foresters out there, yes, you're probably sitting there right now, but Ty, I've designed plans that do both. I get that. You may have a you you may have a, over a hundred clients that you you know both have been taken into considerations and both objectives are being met, but to what degree? To what degree? I liken it to myself and my walk as a Christian. I have to make decisions throughout my entire day that are either godly or not godly. There's no decision that is uh, partial godly. I mean, I could make the argument for it. Our sinful nature could be, eh, it's either this or that. Now, over my lifetime, if you added up all the moments, sure, my life objective and life plans have never really changed. But throughout it, maybe I've been 35% sinful. Maybe I've been 70% sinful. Maybe I've been 30%. I, whatever it is. When you make a goal, there's a hierarchy of, of things and your objectives. And if you're not 100% committed to deer... Well, then your plan's 80-20. Maybe 20% of your plan is driven by timber. 80% is deer. That's fine. And even as a deer consultant, a habitat consultant like myself, or, or you know, guys out there like Don Higgins and Jake and, and uh, Jeff Sturgis, you know, name whoever you want, Jim Ward, that, you know, they, they have clients that, yeah, timber is not a zero factor. And they need to know that up front. I'm just telling you from my perspective, I want to get the logging out of the way so then I can 100% commit to deer. Now, I've, I've made some videos out there that I think we also need to acknowledge wildlife in general, but never timber. I, I just, timber is not, now if I had a rare tree or, you know, an endangered tree, I don't even know if there is such things. I think there, yeah, I know there is, but. You know, I don't have anything like that. I would protect those. I'm I'm a I'm a wildlife conservation supporter 100%. But I'm not going to allow timber to factor into my 
deer property at all. I'm trying to grow deer. I'm not trying to grow timber. So, you know, when I'm logging, I'm logging hard. If I've got a 40-acre woodlot that I'm harvesting, yeah, I'm going to pick and choose some of those big mature trees. And, and you know, I, I think Craig Harper has spoken to this quite a few times. You know, there are aesthetic reasons for leaving trees. You know, aesthetics is a factor that, you know, you, we do want our woods to look good. Now, what our woods look good is relative to what your goals and objectives are. But there's still something to be said about that, you know, that massive, old, you know, 150-year-old walnut tree. That's just cool. And yeah, it may be detrimental to the soil right around it. And it, you know, it's not, it's not something that necessarily the deer relate to. But you know what? I really like my property with that tree. It's a reference point. It's a story. that It's something to include. Um, so I think you have to consider that. But there's a point where you have to admit you cannot choose both 100%. One has to give and take when you choose the other. If I'd have chose Tim, here's an example, okay? When me and Pops, and I'm going to put this on video and you're going to see this when we walk into this this woodlot, that we want to to be thick in the understory with food, have structural um, cover, both horizontal and vertical, we're going to need to release a lot more trees. There are... There's a section in there that has some incredible young cherry trees growing. I'm talking very straight, very minimal branches on the lower 40 feet of them, and just straighter as can be. Think veneer cherry trees. There's too many of them, and they're sucking up too much light in the canopy cover. However, I apologize for the beeping. I didn't mute my computer. Um, however, if I if timber value at all impacted me, I'd have I, I would I would I would have to leave those alone. I I, I wouldn't go in. You know, I'm, I plan on if I have to cut them all to be comfortable with the amount of light that I'm letting in, I'm doing it. I've got a few oak trees that the the logger didn't want because they were either too crooked. I've got a couple that grow really at an angle. Um, I believe there was one or two that was slightly busted out. Um, another one had a just a bunch of lower branches and, and just wasn't a good tree that he didn't think he could get more. Now I will say there were you know I told the logger you take anything that is of value for you if it's a white oak and you can't get more than one log out of it one log section talk to me you know let's see. And I know there was one tree, I remember I was standing with him, and he's like, well, we could cut that one down, Ty, but there's only one usable log. And he goes, if you look around, there's no other canopy now arguing with that tree. And I go, it's going to produce a lot more acorns. You know, uh, there's the, forget the exact figure, but I think it's like 40 or 45% of your mass-producing trees actually produce the majority of what you find on the forest floor. And that has to do with the canopy treatment, the canopy spread. You can actually eliminate 50 to 70% of the oaks in an oak stand and still produce the same, if not more, amount of acorns. 
people need to stop thinking timber when they want deer. And to be fair, the counter argument, you need to stop thinking of deer if you want to produce timber. If timber is your main objective, your woods are going to look totally different than mine. And they should. Um, so everything's relative to what your goal is. What are you trying to grow? Is it timber or is it deer? And let's be honest in what our expectations need to be. I'll still help somebody if timber is a big goal of theirs. Um, we just may have to shift from hoping to do a lot of habitat things to encourage more deer usage, more daylight movement. And, you know, I'm just going to have to be like, okay, then I've already had consultants that have paid me. Basically at that point, we've discovered they don't want to cut trees. So let's just talk about this as, and I begin to shift in my mindset and treat that property as this is a property that I have permission to hunt, but I can't do anything on. How do I go about setting up my stand locations planning out my entrances and exits and speaking purely from a tactical side of things to approach that property and forget about the entire habitat improvement side of things. So that's what we're going to be doing. And that's essentially what these two sections of my property did. We got out, we, 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 we basically eliminated all the, the loggable trees that we had time and energy to get to. And now we're going to go back and continue to remove the next tier, if you will, of mature but not loggable trees, either through falling them or hacking, squirting, girdling them. And then that third tier of trees, saplings, smaller trees, we're probably going to end up hinging some of those. Um, maybe clean cutting them and allowing sprouting through the stumps. Uh, and we'll, we may treat some of those as well and leave them as dead standing trees. Um, either way, there's going to be a massive overhaul of those locations, and hopefully we're going to encourage more regenerative growth, thicken up those areas, and especially in one section, one of those two spots is pretty void of cover, but it's just dying to be used, and I know the deer want to use it, and it's it's a it's a great location. It's a phenomenal location, but we just need to get it thicker. You can see right through it um, all right now, and it just isn't conducive to daytime usage by the deer. So hopefully we can change that. I know we can change that. It's just a matter of how we execute it and how well we can get it done. We need to move a parking spot. Um, but, you know, I, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, any of you listening... You really need to be honest with yourself when you're beginning to tackle a plan or be honest with the consultant that you hire. What are you trying to grow? Be honest with them up front. You know, if you want to get timber value, you need to let them know up front. And beyond that, let them know if, you know, does timber value and the growth of mature trees into the future outweigh deer? Are you willing to sacrifice deer for four to eight years in order to get some more veneer walnuts to, to a mature, mature size in a section in that four-acre chunk? Or do you want to commit every section of your property to deer and deer only? And to be honest with you, you know, you make a really good deer property, naturally you're going to have more birds, more rabbits, more turkey, like... 
mature timber is not conducive to much wildlife use, to be fair. So that's just my two cents on the topic. I've rambled on long enough. I've told you about Patreon. I told you about some of our plans going into it. I won't take any more of your time. We've, we're now hitting that you know half-hour mark of things, and I like to try to keep things of that unless I have a guest on the episode, which will be coming up. But uh, do yourself a favor and me if you enjoy this. If you want to, if you want me to be encouraged to make more content, um, consider being a Patreon. You know the tiers, the tiers are not that much. Basically, for a cup of coffee um, or two cups of coffee a month, you can be one of the three Patreon levels. They're three, five, and eight dollars, and uh, basically that's going to guarantee sponsorship-free content from here on in, you know, into the future. Um, it's it's it, depending on the tier you choose, you'll be act, you'll be uh, entered into for some giveaways. There's some early content access type things, um, which the early content access, I'm working on that. It'll probably start going into effect in February or March, and podcasts are affected by that. You'll be one of the first people to hear the podcasts each each time one goes live. There may even be some podcasts that are exclusive only to certain levels. Um, there's exclusive. Exclusive content as I mess up everything. And of course, the giveaways get better as the tiers go up. I think that's all I got, guys, for, for this episode of the Smaller Hunting Podcast. Thank you so much. Be sure to like, subscribe, blah, 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 do all that stuff. Um, you don't understand. The, I shouldn't have went blah, 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 because it really does impact and help. The more you like, subscribe, review, and spread the word, it, 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 produces a bigger following which in turn encourages me more and uh, hopefully assists in better delivery of content and it means the world to me um, I wish I could convey just how much it means that you out there like to consume this stuff and and there's so many like minds out there as always this is Ty God bless and good luck out there Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Smolliger Hunting Podcast. As I said in the intro, and you may have heard during the episode, if you like what you're listening to, be sure to do all you can to spread and grow this podcast. Like, subscribe, review, and become a patron. This podcast, the website, the YouTube channel, it is all sponsorship-free, guaranteed, but that only can happen because of listeners like you. Go to smallacrehunting.com today, click on the Patreon link in the upper right-hand corner, and learn the very affordable for a coffee a month. Just one coffee a month, $3 tier is the introductory tier where you can show your support and fund everything that you hear. There's other tiers there, but for just $3 a month, you will guarantee that this show, the website, the production videos, all stay sponsorship-free and not a single opinion is ever paid for or influenced by anyone but myself. God bless, and thank you for tuning in.